You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Keep your feet for a reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from the Psalms. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matt Mills, at the top of a 40-foot ladder, was scared to death. Now, I didn't take that as a warning for me not to climb the ladder. More on that in a minute. We are so glad to have our kids with us from Kids Clubhouse as always, to have our teens. Anytime we get to be together and worship as a family, it's great. So we need a little audience participation today. So I'm going to try to involve some different body parts. How many of you have greeted in church before? Raise your hand up. Very good. So put your house down, hands down. How many of you have enjoyed greeting? You can nod your heads. Good. Okay, so we've done hands, we've done heads. Now I've got to get you to talk. So, uh, what's the weirdest place that you've ever seen a bird's nest? Somebody call one out? On top of an electrical light. Oh my goodness. In a pool? Oh my. Under the hood of our car. Oh no. Under the hood of your car. Hmm. Sorry to hear that. In a live Christmas tree. Oh, there you go. Partridge in a pear tree and all. Just bring it home. Anybody else? Man, bird's nest can show up anywhere and everywhere. Well, last month I took my last trip to my grandmother's farm. It was our final time to be there. And this picture that you see is on the north side of the property. There's a large silo. There's a huge barn, and what you see stretching out away from it is like three sheds. You can't even see all of them. 
That's just a few of the buildings. There are about four other buildings on the property. This is exactly two miles to the west of Altus, Oklahoma. It's the old Chenault property. They've been there for 80 years. My grandma and my grandpa Bryce have lived there for the last 30. So if you go two miles to the east of town, you go to the Bryce property. And this is a view from our hotel room when we were staying there uh, to do the estate sale at the Holiday Inn, probably about the third floor. You can see the Quartz Mountains in the distance. You really have to kind of squint. They're not Sandia. But from that window, we could see the, I mean, where the, where the hotel was, was with the Bryce property, where my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather came 130 years ago to establish residency there. Well, my friend Matt Mills came walking across the backyard from the barns that you just saw. And he said he was scared to death. He had wanted to climb that old silo that you'd seen a picture of. And he climbed up that ladder about 40 feet, and he got to the top and he stuck his head through this little peephole and was looking straight at a gray owl. <laughs> it startled him so bad, he almost fell down. Now, I'm no strangers to ladders, especially not at my grandma's place. I mean, every time I go there, I'm on a ladder, changing light bulbs, fixing things, getting on the roof, cleaning out gutters. In fact, I remember even one time I'd taken her, it might as well have been an aluminum tin can uh, ladder into that barn, and I was doing some stuff on the ladder up in the rafters, and that thing that's made out of aluminum cans began to buckle, and it just went out from under me. And all I could do was grab onto the post, the beam, and hang there until I finally dropped down safely, clear of the ladder. So I'm not afraid of ladders at all. Today our story is a story about birds in weird locations. When I hear this story, that's one of the things that pops out to me. When, when you hear this psalm read, you probably heard some other pretty famous lines, didn't you? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I mean, clearly this, this psalmist, she wants to be in the presence of God. I don't know if she's writing this psalm in the midst of the presence of God in the worshiping assembly, or if she writes this psalm or he writes this psalm away from the worshiping assembly, longing to be with others who are chanting the same victory cries of Yahweh. Or maybe it caught your ears, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, the host of heaven, the planets, everything that you can see. Well, my eyes and my voice went to the tweeting in this passage. It went to the sparrow that rests on the altar of all places. Or the little swallow that's building a nest in the altar. And that, that concerns me. I don't know if it concerns you. Seems like a risky place to build a nest. I mean, you're taking your little tiny bird life into your own little beak and risking death. You're even putting your little bird baby eggs right there where they could get baked alive. It doesn't seem like the best place for a bird to be. But yet it's another place where you can tell that this psalmist longs to be with God, longs to be in the presence of God, wants to be like these birds. And I'm glad that today we can be together in this place, worshiping, praising God, 
kids, teens, adults, all of us together. But maybe you'll share a little bit of my worry with these birds. On the last day of our time in Altus, on the property, I decided I wanted to walk the line, the property line all the way around. Spent my life going there, and I wanted to just sense it as an adult. And so I walked, walked each edge of the property down to Frazier, the old town site that was along Bitter Creek. That's where Altus began until it was washed away and moved to higher ground, which is what Altus means in Latin. And I walked along uh, the streams, streams that I'd skipped rocks on and fished in the lake, saw the bricks piled up from the old town site and different dams along that river. And I got to the, to the edge back all the way around after walking all corners, and I wanted to climb that silo. I wanted to go where Matt Mills had gone. And so I want to get a picture of this owl. And I got my camera ready on my phone, had it open. It was early in the morning, and I began to very quietly climb the ladder, one rung at a time, not making any noise. Thankfully, it was still secure, although very rusted. And I got all the way to the top, right to that peephole, and I stuck my phone up into the peephole, and I just started snapping pictures, waiting for the amount of time for the camera to adjust to the light, and then I pulled the camera down. Now, birds in strange places give me the creeps a little bit. I don't know if it's in a Stranger Things kind of way, where you're just expecting something to go wrong, but still, why would these birds be in these places so casual in the presence of God, perched on altars, building their nests in altars? I mean, don't you know what happens on altars? You kill birds. I mean, what's to keep this bird from being the next sacrifice if it's there near the altar? I mean, this is a grill. This is building, building a nest right there in the midst of a grill. Which brings us back to maybe some clues. This little song. Now, look at the beginning of Psalm 84. A lot of times in your Bible, you'll see little headings. And those headings are not really in the Bible. They're just something from the translator to tell you what that passage is about. However, in the Psalms, these headings are actually in the text. These are in the Hebrew. And this is what Psalm 84 says. To the leader... According to the gift of the Korites, a psalm. The Korites? Now, who, who are the Korites? Korites are one of the priests, one of the priestly groups. In fact, there are lots of priestly groups all through the history of Israel, the very and storied history. You'd get Aaronic priests after Aaron, or Zadok priests after Zadok, or Levitical priests. But Korah, what? is Korah doing? Korah is a washed up minister. It's gone. He shouldn't be around. In fact, we don't even hear about Korah until after the exile, after the people of God have been hauled off into captivities. That's the first time we hear about him in scripture, but they probably only existed pre-exile, pre-Jerusalem, even before temple worship. So what is this guy doing in this psalm? What is he showing up in this place? Well, 
we're given a little story, a reason to why the Korites are gone, and it's in Numbers 16. It's a story in the time of Moses where Korah gets a group of 250 men, and he goes to Moses and says, we don't think you need to be leader anymore. Actually, what he literally says in verse 3 is that everyone is holy in the Lord's sight, so why are you so special? Now Moses, being a leader, has a choice here. He, he could respond and say, well, yes, but the Lord has appointed me. Yes, but I, I've received all of this training from the Lord in the wilderness and in Egypt. Yes, but I'm the rightful leader. But Moses doesn't do that. You know what he does? He falls down flat on his face in front of them, in their presence before the Lord. That's the right move. So the right move, because God says this is going to be a test. Now Moses, I think, has already passed the test, because he is prostrate in the presence of God. But what God tells him to do is say, Moses, get up, tell everybody, all these men of Korah, to get their censers, and come and light their censers together as a group. Now, a censer is a fancy term for a chunk of metal that's kind of a torch, don't really think fire torch, think more kind of like sweet-smelling incense kind of torch. So here's everybody with their torches lit, ready for this test. And God says, step away from the people of Korah. The earth opens up, the people of Korah fall in, and these men of Korah are burned to death. Ter terrible story. And Moses says, or God says to Moses, it's not over. I want you to go and I want you to grab those censers and I want you to melt them down, and I want you to hammer them and that metal into the side of the altar, because that metal has become holy. Now, when we get to a story like this, it gives us indigestion. I mean, if, if you're an outsider, you're like, wait, 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 back up. The earth opens up, fire burns these people alive. Does this fit? Christians, we get a little bit of indigestion too because we know how God has fully and finally revealed himself through Jesus as a God of grace and a God of mercy. And so we come to a passage like this and we're asking questions about why this is here. Could God really do this? Should God act in this way? So, I don't know how you handle uh, different questions of faith that you have, but in this rebellion where these men are wiped out, it's one of those times when we say, do I really believe this? Now you've had those moments, haven't you? Do I believe X or Y or Z? Someone poses you a question, maybe it's one of your children, maybe it's a coworker, and you're like, I don't know, I haven't thought about that, like ever or in a while. And so you've got an option. You could say, well, I don't really care. And you walk off. Don't think about it again. Or maybe you just scratch your head and you're completely uncertain of where to begin to find an answer for this. Or maybe you start tear off trying to find an answer to this question that's been given to you. I don't know if in these moments you find yourself ambivalent or eager to find what God would teach you through these messages. But here, what we find is that this psalm that mentions Korah is not a psalm about God's judgment. It's a psalm that's written by this group of people when they're at their best. Because when the people of Korah are at their best, it's the same as when we're at our best. It's when they fully and completely are willing to worship God. 
when the Lord of hosts is the only God. We kind of lose our way along, and we often lose sight of what God wants to, what he wants to do with our lives. But when people are rebellious against God, whenever you choose that there is no God, God gives you exactly what you want. A life with no God. A life where God is gone. So no life now, no life later. And in some ways, this is God's mercy. For us, we get distracted by things in life. We get distracted by leaders, we get distracted by issues, events that happen in our life. And and usually when we're distracted, it's because we've lost that love of God. When we get distracted, we've lost that ability to serve God or to worship God, and our lives become a mess. When this psalm sings us into the presence of God, that we want to get as close as possible to God, to the door, to the temple, to the altar, and we have no fear there. No fear even of the fires of life that burn through our lives. Even the dry places like Baca. Now it mentions that this is you know, a hot, dry place, but I think Altus, Oklahoma is the hottest place in the world. My doctor will tell me that, that I have dry eyes and I don't think that it's just dry because we live at high altitude. Many of you probably have this same thing. I think in some ways it's because I haven't fully wept, haven't fully grieved the losses in my life. And God calls us through these fiery moments to embrace them and draw close to Him. I don't know if you get curious about your belief or or curious about those things that happen or curious why birds are where they are. But when I climbed that ladder and I stuck my phone up to snap a picture of that bird, I was still kind of curious. I'd been quiet at this point. And so I raised myself up into this submarine-shaped size hole and put my head there. And wham! The owl hit me. It hit my phone and my hand its talons drug across my grandfather's John Deere cap that I was wearing and nearly knocked me off the ladder. Now, it flew, and I was able to see it stretch its glorious wings right above me and feel the whoosh of the air and watch it as it soared in a big circle over that field and then landed in the brush away from me. You know, I don't know about you at church, if you get curious about what you believe. I'm interested in the things that we believe. I want to empower and help people to be able to study and be able to to find their beliefs well. And so one thing that I want to do, we've got some really important things still left to do, is to show you about our We Believe page on our website. Now, In this page, you will not find anything that's trendy theologically. If you're looking for a controversy, you're not going to find a controversy. If you're looking for an answer to every one of your Bible trivia questions, I'm sorry, it's not there. But if you want to find this, the the direct link, if you're more into typing, is firstabq.org slash we hyphen believe. If you like to do your searching yourself, you can go to the main page, firstabq.org, navigate up to the About tab and click on it, and you'll find the We Believe tab where you can click. When you open up that page, there are some, some boxes. 
You'll find about our story, about how we are a people caught up in the story of God, of what God's doing. And I think what's put here is put simply enough that all of our little people among us can learn some things in this, as well as those of us that have been Christians for a very long time. We'll find it maybe that you want more to be there, but you certainly won't want less because these point us to the simplicity of our faith and our life together. Very God-focused beliefs. And don't we need that now more than ever? Focus on God. Focus on our mission of following Jesus. So let's look at these. The, the first one, if you click to the first tab, it's what our mission is about following Jesus. Where we want to go everywhere Jesus leads us. In fact, every decision that we make as a church, every decision we make in our small group, or as a leader, or as a member of this church, is filtered through this notion of following Jesus. If you click on the second box, it, you'll notice that everything begins with God, about God creating, and God saving, and God gathering people together. And on each one of these lines, you can click, and you'll find a little paragraph, as well as some scriptures to take you down deeper into that text. It will take you uh, as a resource to to dig deeper into who God is. The third item, if you click on it, is our, our life in the Spirit. Practices that are unique to us as Christians and even unique to us as followers here at first. About our involvement with group, or the time that we spend around table, or the importance of baptism. Practices that empower us for our everyday living can be unpacked there in a very simple way. And then finally, you'll find a very old statement of faith called the Apostles' Creed. It's what was written down probably in the late first century, maybe earliest in the second century. Not something that's in scripture, but as you read through it, it's very Bible-based. And this is a resource that you might want to spend some time looking at, exploring what you believe, maybe even doing it with your group, walking through the questions that you face in life. Well, so what are we supposed to learn from all of these things? as we're curious about birds that buzz over our heads, as we've looked at people standing at the doorway of the temple of God, as we've kind of shivered at the thought of building a nest in the altar of God, what are we supposed to do? Well, it's fairly clear. It's said over and over again that we're to long, even pass out, faint, seeking God. That our life is a pilgrimage where we are looking for that doorway to open up to God. Our young people have been on pilgrimage this summer. They've gone to camps at, at Glorietta, they've gone to CIY in California, and they've been on these pilgrimages where in some ways they're like birds circling the temple of the Lord, birds landing on the altar, seeking God everywhere they can. The way I want to drive this home is give you three things that show up in this psalm, three things that you might have even missed about how birds can find happiness. These are beatitudes, these are blessings, three blessings that show up. And you might say, well, I thought that was only in the New Testament of Jesus giving the beatitudes. Well, there are three right here in Psalm 84. And so let's look at the first one. The first one is house. Happy are the birds who dwell in the house of the Lord. Everywhere we are, we have the opportunity to dwell in the presence of God, to be with God wherever we are. 
It's not about being just inside of the temple or the longing that we feel when we're outside of the temple. We have the chance to build our nest permanently and eternally in God. Now that nest near the altar may at times get burned up. The fires of that altar may burn through our lives and yet we rebuild again because we want nothing more than to be as close to God as we possibly can. Dwell everywhere with God. Well, the second one is about our highway. In verse 5, the first one shows up in verse 4. The second one shows up in verse 5. Happy are those whose strength is in the Lord. Now, I really like the way the New Revised Standard Version translates this. All of the versions do a good job. They point to this notion of uh, setting your heart on pilgrimage. Thinking about yourself as always on a journey, traveling towards God. But I really like the way the New Revised Standard does it. In your heart, establish a highway to God. Access. We're camp and CIY and these times of worship each week, they build a highway that's present all day through every moment of our existence. Where we're focused on this pilgrimage of coming close to God. So, house and highway. And the third one comes in verse 12, the final verse. It's the ground. It's the ground that we stand on. Happy are the birds, I'm throwing in birds on all these, who trust in the Lord, who find their confidence in the Lord. Their hope is established firmly in the Lord. These three things, the house, the highway, and the ground, they all overlap, don't they? They're all about seeking this doorway to God, where we're totally dependent upon God. But maybe you missed a very important word in verse 12. Happy is everyone who trusts in the Lord. An invitation that's open to all. This psalmist echoes his or her voice across the ages and invites all to trust in the Lord. Well, I don't know if birds are really in the wrong place, whether they're up in silos in the wrong place. Certainly not wrong to build their nests in altars. I don't know if maybe I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I can tell you I did not get a picture. (laughs) I can show you on my phone these blurry live pictures that capture absolutely nothing. So I don't have a picture that I can show you or hand to you But I have an experience of a bird running into me, of feeling the whoosh of it as it brushes past me and soars above me. And I think what's true for owls and true for people that we love, we can't hang on to them, we can't cling on to them forever. And in some small way, it's also true of God. We cannot contain God. We can only seek after God and let our experience of God be ever-expanding and growing. And that sometimes demands some great risks, that you're climbing into places that you wouldn't other climb, otherwise climb, that you're taking risks. In some ways, putting your life into your own hands by, by building your home in the altar where you can ever sing and ever praise in the presence of God. This idea of Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. 
I have to wonder about that pilgrimage. If that pilgrim is willing to hike for a thousand days, for just one day to be in the presence of God. When that process orders your life, when you're willing to hike a thousand days to be in the presence of God, let me let you in on a secret. You're in the presence of God through every step of every one of those thousand days. You're in the presence of God. One of the last things I did before I left Altus, a couple days before, one of the final things I sold because I needed it was that replacement ladder. You see, my, my grandma, that aluminum ladder that I threw in the dumpster, I don't know that I told you that, I threw it in the dumpster, but I found it again. She drug it out. I took it to metal recycling, by the way, because that day I fell off the ladder, I went and bought grandma a new ladder. So here I have this new ladder, done using it. Sold it to the preacher in town. My hope is that that preacher, as he leads people, will lead them to the doorway of God, will invite people up this ladder to experiences of God that right now none of us can imagine. Because one day, one day in the house of the Lord will someday be all days in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we earnestly seek you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And we thank you for the happiness we can find when we, when we build our nest with you, when we build a highway in our heart to Zion, and we stand on the firm ground of trusting in you. Father, thank you for what you've done through Jesus to establish the certainty of your work in this world, to give us confidence in what you are doing, not just with us, but with all people. And so we pray. We pray this prayer of great gratitude through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.